Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Matthew chapter 12, please. Matthew chapter 12. Just so we're all clear, you're all saints too if you are in Christ, so. I think they're getting it. I'm so old now, my birthday is this week, that I've turned into a saint. I think that's where they're going. Matthew chapter 12, verse 9. What if I were to tell you today that you did not have to obey the Ten Commandments? What would you say to that proposition? We have law courts going on in our country right now, whether or not they can be hanging in certain government buildings. You go into most Sunday school classrooms in any evangelical church, and they got the Ten Commandments on tablets, on stones. I have the Ten Commandments on a next slide that you can remind yourself of them if you're unfamiliar with what the Ten Commandments are. There are ten prohibitions, actually. They're, they're actually ten words, and they're all prohibitions. They're all do not, do not, do not, do not. And as Americans, we like to not hear do not, we like to hear do. And yet, in many ways, these Ten Commandments have kind of like summarized and governed a lot of the life of the Christian church over uh, the last couple hundred years, to be honest. And what I want to say is that the Ten Commandments are not necessarily binding on the New Covenant people of God. This is not to say they're meaningless. It's not to say they're not necessary. It just means that they're not necessarily binding upon the church, the New Covenant, not the Old Covenant people, the New Covenant people of God who possess the Spirit. And why do I bring this topic to the front in our introduction? It's because our passage today has everything to do with our understanding and Jesus' understanding of one of those particular commandments, and specifically it's the fourth commandments. The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Last week, Nate did a great job as he went through Matthew, the first few verses of Matthew chapter 12, of talking about who are the grain pickers in your life. And it was all centered around a, a, a controversy about the Sabbath, but Jesus and the religious leaders are not done with the Sabbath. He says in verse 9, I'm going to read the passage for us, Jesus says, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, and they asked him this question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus responded to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and was completely restored and just as sound as the other. Can you imagine this guy? He's just in the synagogue trying to worship God and all of a sudden he becomes the center of attention. He wasn't trying to be. Jesus didn't necessarily walk in there 
He knew probably what was going to happen. But he didn't go in there to heal this man. This man's just sitting in, like, in the gathering, and all of a sudden a bunch of religious leaders and Jesus comes in, and Jesus says, let me see your hand, and he heals this person's shriveled hands. The Pharisees, after Jesus did this, went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. When a section in Matthew 11, 12, and 13, where Jesus' ministry and who Jesus is is no longer being, yay, 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 you're amazing, we love you. This is a transition point in the Gospel of Matthew to where now there is opposition going. There is resentment going. There is jealousy on part of the religious leaders. And at this moment in time, they are looking for a reason to put Jesus to death, to actually be done with this self-acclaimed Messiah. And one of the ways that they try to do this is through the law, through the fourth commandment, specifically the Sabbath day. And Jesus, when they ask the question, what would you do? What would you heal? Why would you heal? Can you heal on the Sabbath day? This is where they're trying to get him. Now, why? Because in, in Judaism, there's two different schools, okay? And, you know, just for sake of illustration, you got your Republican school of Judaism and you got your Democratic Republican school of Judaism, okay? And these two schools did not get along at all, okay? And one was very liberal. I'll let you pick and define whatever you want. And one was very conservative, the conservative school of Judaism would say you could only take a certain number of steps on the Sabbath day. You actually had to count how many steps you had. And they didn't have a watch. The other school of Judaism was like, take as many steps as you want. But don't necessarily, you don't have to like count them all out, but you can't go a certain distance. And so there's like 2,000 cubits, which is close to a half half a mile that you were allowed to travel on the Sabbath day. And so there was, if you could believe it, there weren't just controversies in theology today, but there were controversies about God's word back in Jesus's day. And there was different camps and they want to know and come to Jesus. Where do you stand in this understanding of the Sabbath? Are you really conservative or are you really crazy? Because if you're really crazy and really liberal, then maybe we can get some charges brought up against you by the Sanhedrin and eventually get you and put you to death. This is what they're trying to do with Jesus. Figure out where he is on the Sabbath. We saw last week with Nate that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And they didn't like that. They didn't know exactly what to do with that. And so it's almost as if there is now another opportunity on the Sabbath day as they continue to follow Jesus around. Wouldn't that be annoying to just have people walking all around you trying to kill you and figure out what you believe so he can send you to jail? If I was Jesus, I would like turn around, point my finger, and knock you all out and keep walking. Right? Like, of course, Jesus didn't do that. Okay? He wouldn't have done that. But I've been like, this is so annoying. You just have these people following me all day long. Now, when they asked Jesus that particular question, is it lawful? Is it okay? Does Moses actually allow you to heal it? What kind of answer did they want? The kind of answer that they were hoping Jesus would give, one that would be acceptable to them, is Jesus would respond something like this. I believe it's biblical to only treat emergency cases of life or death on the Sabbath day. 
And I want to honor the Sabbath and I want to keep it holy. And so the only work I would do is it was a matter of life and death. And obviously a man with a shriveled hand, this is not life and death. And so they would have loved for Jesus to look at the shriveled man's hand and say, you know, I have power to heal you, but out of reverence for God, I'm not going to heal you today. But if you follow me around for another four hours at 6.01 when the Sabbath is over, I'll heal you. That's the kind of answer they were looking to have for Jesus, an answer that would actually satisfy their understanding of what the Sabbath was all about. And what we learn in this passage about Jesus is he doesn't like the trickery. He doesn't like, I'm going to call it the theological snobbery of taking a very important commandment in the Ten Commandments of honoring the Sabbath and turning it into a commandment for religious superiority and showing off how spiritual you are. Because this is what the actual Jewish leaders were doing, turning the law of God from its intents to be a place where now they would actually be able to show how spiritual and how much they love God by only taking six steps on the Sabbath. And so Jesus tells him a story. If a sheep fell into a pit, what would you do? Would you leave your sheep there? And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? And so he heals the man. But the question is, is why is Jesus healing on the Sabbath? If you go to the next slide, I have three reasons potentially why Jesus was healing or did this healing on the Sabbath. Number one, Jesus potentially could be making a point to the Pharisees regarding their self-righteousness and their self-salvation. He might be pointing out to them, that what you're actually doing and turning the Sabbath into is a form of self-righteousness, a form of self-salvation. And he's highlighting that to them. And I definitely think that's part of what's going on. Number two, why was Jesus healing on the Sabbath? I would say potentially it's because the occasion demanded it. He saw a sheep falling into a pit. It was actually a man, something who was far more valuable than a sheep. And so the occasion was this man needed help. And God helped him. Or, number three, I shouldn't say or, I should say and, number three, I think Jesus heals on the Sabbath to these religious leaders to show the true intention of what the Sabbath was always meant to be. What the true intention of the Sabbath was always meant to be. So I asked the question, if Jesus was here healing this man to show the true intention, the full intention of the fourth commandment to keep it holy, what was the true intention of the Sabbath? In order to do that, you're going to sit through a Bible class with me. Are you ready? We're going to do a theology of the Sabbath. We're going to walk through the scriptures and kind of highlight where the Sabbath is, what it related back to, how it was kept, and where it is in Jesus' day to our day. So the very first time the word Sabbath is actually mentioned in your English Bible is in Exodus chapter 20, and I have a lot of these passages on the screen. But if you want to turn in your phone there, you're welcome to do that. But in Exodus chapter 20, this is the 10th one of the Ten Commandments. This is the Ten Commandment passage. And there's much more 
to the holy day, the Sabbath day, than just keep it holy. In fact, Jesus, not Jesus, Moses records these words from Yahweh that says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you will labor, but the seventh is a Shabbat. It's a rest. It's a seventh. It's a rest to the Lord your God. On it, you're not going to do any work. And just so you're clear, not you, not your son and daughter, not your female or male servants, your animals are not going to work, and not any of the foreigners or any of the immigrants in your towns. Why? Because in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, this is the very first time the Sabbath idea is actually brought up in the Bible. And what you see in the second half of that is a reference back, in fact, a direct quote from Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2 is the first time that we see this passage say, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so in Genesis chapter 2, it says on the seventh day, God finished his work. So he rested on the seventh day from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So what did God do on the seventh day? He rested. And it doesn't mean he just went to nap. In fact, John tells us that Jesus is working just as his father is working. Jesus is saying that the father is not just resting and doing nothing. But he's actually in a place of rest. Because his work is done and now it's maintaining and keeping. He blessed it. I don't know how much we want to jump into this idea of blessing. But it says in Genesis chapter 1 that he blessed Adam and Eve. And now he blessed a day. And to have the blessing of God upon something is to have the, the, the benefit, the, the superiority, the joy associated with the presence of God and everything with God that comes with that is now put into this day. And that will make more sense in a minute, I believe. And he made it holy. What's, anyone know what the idea of holy means? He set it apart. Okay, it doesn't mean, well, often things of holiness as like this moral category of I'm really holy because I don't ever sin. Partly. The bigger idea of holiness in Scripture is to be set apart for something for a very specific purpose. In fact, I, 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 off, I don't often, but maybe you've heard me use this illustration before. Do you know that there's a holy shovel in the tabernacle? Okay, like if you're thinking you're really holy and thinking you're really special, just remember there's a holy shovel. Why? Why was there a holy shovel? Yeah, it was this. There was animals, and there was a specific task for this shovel. It was set apart for one purpose. That's what Jesus is actually implying here. Actually, Father is implying in Genesis chapter 1 that he has set this day apart from all the others. But why? Why is this day blessed? Why is it set apart from all the others? In fact, it doesn't really tell you in the book of Genesis chapter 1 why it's set apart. What makes it unique? But I think there's some interesting clues in Genesis chapter 1 that will actually help us understand what the uniqueness of the seventh day and the set-apartness of the seventh day is all about. I want you to see on this slide right here, there's this refrain, this unique, interesting Literary device. 
rhetorical device, okay? Just interesting thing in Genesis chapter 1. At the end of each day, it says what? The evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. The evening and morning were the third, fourth, fifth day. The evening and the morning were the sixth day. Okay? Moses, probably who wrote this, recorded that at the end of each day's events. When he comes to the seventh day, guess what is noticeably missing? There is no morning and evening were the seventh day. There is no mention of an evening and a morning being the seventh day, the completion of the day. Why? Did Moses just get bored and forgot it? Just so we're all clear, no. He left it out on purpose. And why would he leave it out on purpose? The reason he left it out on purpose is because it actually is highlighting something very significant, that there is no ending of the seventh day. There's an ending of days one through six, but day seven is this unending, ongoing day. In fact, one theological commentator on the next slide says this, the unending Sabbath day provides the context in which the ideal life of the garden is to take place and perpetuated in human existence. So the seventh day of creation, I believe, is not necessarily tied to a 24-hour day of the week. It's not tied to a specific day. What it is tied to is the unending day that humanity was now to live in. It's the day that now Adam and Eve were to rule over the earth, subdue it, expand the Garden of Eden to the ends of the earth. This is the seventh day that God intended. Adam and Eve before the fall were living in the seventh day. They were living in the seventh day until the purposes of creation were ruined by Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. And yet God's intention was for man to always live in this seventh day, to live in this, um, in this idea of working for God and doing what God has called them to do, to be with God, to meet with God. God wanted this to happen. And so the way that God would actually bring about the reinstitution of the seventh day is through a nation, through Israel. But it's interesting, is there any evidence that Abraham kept the Sabbath? Is there any evidence that Jacob or Esau, or anyone else in the book of Genesis ever kept the Sabbath? No. The first time we see the Sabbath being implemented and talked about is after God has rescued Israel from Egypt. We see it implemented in the time that now there is a nation being formed, and God is now giving rules and laws to this nation, and one of the national, national laws that is going to summarize and govern their life is that now they're going to live on the seventh day, which by the way is which day? Just so we're all clear. Saturday. Okay? It's Saturday. Sabbath in the Bible is Saturday. That they would take Saturday as a day of rest. They could not work. On the next slide, I have what they could not do. The Old Testament specifies what they qualified as work. They could not gather manna. They could not plow or harvest. They couldn't light a fire. Okay, church, if you go home and light a fire today, you're sinning. That's a joke. Don't, that's a joke. 
gathering wood, or buying and selling merchandise. Now, this is what I'm talking about today, the Sabbath issue. This is a secondary issue in, in Christianity. Can you believe something different about the Sabbath and still be a follower of Jesus Church? Yes, thank you. Um, but I remember when I was in my doctoral program, I actually, this first time I ever heard this, I'd heard of people who'd like, I went to a college, my first year of college, you couldn't do any sports on Sunday. I was like, I don't, I can see I can't gather manna, okay. I can't gather wood, that's okay with me. But Moses didn't say I couldn't play soccer on Sunday. It's like, this is ridiculous. But they wouldn't let me play sports on Sunday. And then later on in my uh, academic career, I, I came across some people who would not actually, they would not even go out to eat after the church gathering. Why? Because you'd be making the people who were serving you break the Sabbath. Does that make sense? It's not even they were going to break it, but they were going to force other people to break it. And so they would actually even refrain from going out and doing and buying anything on Sunday. That's what the Old Testament says is work. But what could you do? You could have feasts of dedication. And then there's lots of things with the tabernacle and the temple. You could change the temple guards. You could put showbread out. You could offer sacrifices. The duties of the priests and Levites were acceptable, and the circumcision was acceptable. This is like the life that Israel was constantly trying to figure out. Like, I mean, how many of you are trying to figure out, can I do this? Can I not do this? Can I go see a rated R movie at the movie theaters, or can I not? Like, we don't have a verse for that. And this is where the two schools of Judaism came out. They couldn't necessarily come up with all the different ways of how life would continue to be changing in the life of Judaism. They'd have all these different rules about what would be breaking the Sabbath. But again, this is like the what of the Sabbath day. This is like what you can and can't do. But the question more to me is also not just the what, but what is the why? Why did God, in Exodus chapter 20, for the first time now implement for the nation a Sabbath holy day? Exodus chapter 31, which is on the screen for you, says this, Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. Why? This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. What we see in Acts chapter 31 is that it is a sign. It's a sign. Okay? Marriage is a covenant. And when Nate was talking about newlyweds, I was like, I'm, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm a newlywed. I need to go read that. And you have a sign of your marriage covenant, right? And it's probably right around your ring, right? This thing. Your ring is a sign. Does it mean that if I don't wear this today, I'm not in covenant? No, I'm still in covenant. But I actually wear it because it's a sign that I am in the covenant. When God made a covenant with Noah, he gave him a sign, church. And what was the sign? The rainbow. When God entered into a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel in Exodus chapter 20... What was the sign, according to Exodus chapter 31, that God was in a covenant with the people of Israel? The sign was the Sabbath. The Sabbath was instituted as a sign, 
that God was in covenant with His people. But what we see is that that sign of that covenant proves what we're going to call the temporal, the the temporary nature of the Ten Commandments, of this particular commandment. Because once the covenant is fulfilled, the sign is no longer necessary. And this is not to get like all morbid and mean and like make you feel sad. But when Shelly died, my first wife died, I don't know if, if you're new, I had a wife die about six years ago. When my wife had died, the ring eventually came off. Why? Because the covenant was over. It was done with. And so there is no need for the sign anymore to be observed. Does that make sense? And so now God is in a covenant with the nation of Israel. It's the sign of that covenant. But if that covenant gets fulfilled, or that covenant relationship comes to an end, guess what happens to the sign of the covenant? It disappears as well. Moreover, the New Testament tells us that this covenant with Israel has been fulfilled. Matthew 5, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. And I have on the screen for you a couple other passages. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says, I'm not under uh, the law anymore, but I'm actually under grace. Romans 10, 4 says, Christ is the end of the law. Hebrews chapter 8 says, Christ obtained ministry that's much more excellent than the old covenants. The mediator that Jesus does is so much better under the new covenant because it's, it's based on better promises. He goes on to say, by calling this covenant new, the writer of Hebrews, he has made the first one obsolete. See, the purpose of the Sabbath was to be a sign of God's relationship with Israel. And now that Jesus has come, that relationship has come to an end because there is a new way to relate to God. We relate to God not through the Sabbath anymore. We relate to the God through the true Sabbath who is who, church? It's not a day, it's a person. Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. So we are no longer bound to observe the Sabbath just as we're no longer bound to observe animal sacrifices. So number one, why did Jesus... Sorry, I keep saying Jesus. But why did God institute the Sabbath as a sign? Number two, why? Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15 on the screen. Next slide says this. Six days you'll labor, and Deuteronomy 5, there's a recapit- that's a big word. There's a rehashing, it's a restatement of the Ten Commandments. Because they're about to go into the land, and before they get into the land, Moses is going through everything and saying, when you get in there, don't forget all this stuff. And so there's a, a restatement of the Ten Commandments, and there's interestingly something that Moses adds in Deuteronomy 5 that's not in Exodus chapter 20. Six days you'll labor, do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you will not do any work. Why? Here's the new additional information. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. We're going to get to this in a few moments, but... Remember Moses died and who led them into the land? And that was rest. 
Leading them into the land was a place of rest for Israel. Rest from all of their neighbors if they obeyed God. It'd be rest because there'd be food for them. There'd be rest because they have their own lands. How many of you, like, ever travel for a long time? You're in hotel after hotel after hotel, and you just can't wait to get rest and beware. In your own bed. Imagine, like, traveling for 40 years and never having your bed. To get to the land was a place of rest. And what God is saying is remember that in creation I created you to live in this rest but Adam and Eve rejected that rest and so now we're all living in non-rest but I'm going to take you to a place that's going to actually begin to show you what rest would look like. He instituted the Sabbath to remind Israel that they were slaves but now they're free. They are at rest. And this was not for the whole world. This was for Israel. To remind them that God rescued Israel to give them rest, to bring them out of slavery. Jesus comes and he heals on the Sabbath. You know why? Because he says, I am the Sabbath. And the whole point of the Sabbath is not about what you can and what you can't do, it's a place of finding rest. And Paul picks up on this idea in Colossians chapter 2, the only time from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts all talk about the Sabbath. But when you get off the history of the church and start moving into the letters from from, uh, Romans all the way to Revelation, the word Sabbath is only used one time. And it's used in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. And Paul says this, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Or the regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Okay, don't let anyone judge you. If you drink decaf, it's okay. Don't let anyone judge you. If you go to Moe's and not Chipotle, it's okay. Don't let anyone judge you about what days you observe. Including the Sabbath day. Why? Because these things are shadows of what's to come. The reality is found in Christ. And what stands out about this passage are a couple things. But number one, Paul very highly states that the Sabbath is no longer required for believers anymore. This is why he says, don't let anyone judge you. If he was intent on the church keeping the Sabbath, he'd be like, make sure you keep it. But for Jews and Gentiles, this is something that we don't often read our New Testament through, is that one of Paul's primary goals through all of his writing is to combine Jew and Gentile and help them live together. In fact, the whole book of Romans is written for the Roman church with Jew and Gentile house churches learn how to live together and be the people of God together. So you can go to Romans 14 and 15, and he doesn't say Sabbath there, but he talks about food and days and drinks and what identified Israel were what we call these boundary markers. Israelites, the Jewish people, loved that they were set apart from all the other world around three things, their food laws, their circumcision, and their Sabbath. What marks Christian... Let's start over. What marks Americans? The pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, Right? What marked Jewish people? They kept the Sabbath. They were the circumcised people, and they kept the festival food days. This is what identified them. And what Paul is trying to do is help the Gentile understand the Jews, and help the Jews understand that you can embrace the Gentiles because you're not bound by these. You can keep them if you want, but you need to come together. And so don't let anyone judge you. 
So number one, Paul says, don't anyone judge you. But number two, he says that these food laws and the Sabbath are called a shadow. What's the, what's the point of being a shadow? Is it the real thing? The shadow is not the real thing. It's just a copy of the reality. It's something that points that there's something there. Like, you're in your house and you hear a noise and you look around the corner and you see a shadow. Is it the real person there in the shadow? No, but it's pointing to something that's real. You see the shadow and you get scared because you know something real is coming very soon. And this is the imagery that Paul talks about the Sabbath. It's a shadow. It's not the real thing, but it's pointing to and showing you that there's something real coming. And what does he actually say? The real thing that the shadow of the Sabbath is pointing to. The reality is found where, church? As we found out last week in Kids Catechism. Jesus. Christ is the reality. In fact, the writer of Hebrews also talks about the Sabbath the law being shadows. He says in Hebrews chapter 10, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Okay? You're doing great. Any questions? Any questions? We're almost done. But I thought I'd take a break. Everyone with me? You don't have to agree with me, but you with me? Searching, ask question. This is your chance. I'm going to keep monologuing. All right. Keep moving on in the Bible. We go to Hebrews chapter 4. We come to Hebrews chapter 4. This last passage is very significant. And it's talking about the rest that Joshua provided for the nation of Israel while they were in the wilderness and coming out of the wilderness into the promised land. And the writer of Hebrews is making that connection that story, and he's going to relate it to a better and greater story of the people of God, the church, finding their rest in Jesus. Now, Hebrews chapter 4 says this, if Joshua had really given them rest, God would not have spoken about another day coming. In fact, he says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from His. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. The Old Testament Israelites were promised rest in the promised land through Joshua. God would give them, as I mentioned, a land free from struggle, free of war, free from struggle with their neighbors, a land that provide for them. A land that they could call their own that provide rest for them. But the writer of Hebrews says that there is a generation of Israelites who did not enter that rest. Why did they not enter that rest? Because of their unbelief. Remember the story of Joshua and Caleb coming back? The spies. Ten were bad, two were good. If you know the song, sing it in your head. I'm not singing it for you. But there were 12 spies. Ten came back and said, we could never go in there. There's giants. There's all sorts of craziness we could never take over that land and two spies Joshua and Caleb come back and say yeah there's some big people over there they look really strong but God's giving us that land well all the nation believed the ten spies and because of their unbelief anyone who's over the age of 20 had to spend the next 40 years wandering the desert in a tent that's a miserable life can you imagine living in a desert 
thinking you're going somewhere. You get there and like a week later, you're in the same place you were for 40 years. That's, that's frustrating. And yet here's the point. They did not enter into the rest of the promised land because of their unbelief. And he says, if that was really the rest, though, if that was truly the rest that God intended for his people, the full rest, then God wouldn't have spoken about a later rest, a better rest, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. In fact, what the writer of Hebrews is actually saying is that when you come to Jesus through belief, you are entering into a true and final rest. This is what Sabbath rest was always intended to be. And the writer of Hebrews is admonishing you to not be like that generation who didn't find rest because the only way you won't find the true rest is you act just like the Israelites in the, in the wilderness and not believe. You act out of unbelief. He says, don't fail to enter the Sabbath rest. The rest that God has always intended for creation to live in because you refuse to come to Jesus. Now, it's interesting. I preached a few weeks ago, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Then the very next two stories are all about what? The Sabbath. The rest. Jesus is actually saying to them, Come to me, I will give you Sabbath. And the Jewish people are like, you can't give us Sabbath because you don't even understand the Sabbath. You're breaking the Sabbath. You're actually disobeying God's rules for the Sabbath. And Jesus says, no. I am the Sabbath. I will give you rest. I will not give you necessarily freedom from all the trials and the struggles and all the annoying things of life. But what I will give you is in the midst of all that, a peace and a joy and a rest that you can actually come and right now begin to experience and know that one day that fullness of that rest is coming. Jesus says, don't be like the religious leaders who are like that lost generation in the wilderness who didn't come to me because of their unbelief. They did not see that I was rest. The right Hebrew says, you will rest from your works. This is what Jesus is asking the religious leaders to do. Stop trusting in your works and your spiritual religiosity and come to me and I will give you rest. Because he is rest. He is Sabbath. He is the whole goal of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was instituted by God for Israel to remind them of the rest in which God had intended for creation, that he was giving them by bringing them into their land and freeing them from Egypt, which was pointing to a rest that would come in the person of Jesus, that when the new creation comes, all of those who have trusted in Jesus will have eternal rest. That's yours if you come. Father, thank you that Jesus is our rest. We don't have to secure it. We don't have to look for it. We don't have to try to earn it. But by simple faith, we come and experience rest. So Father, I pray for those in this room that may have never even experienced that rest. That they would turn to you this morning and follow you and ex 
begin by the power of the Spirit to experience that rest. I want to pray for people in this room this morning who have forgotten about that rest, who are seeking their own rest, and have this continual turmoil in their soul, even though they're followers of you, that they would repent and that you would come rushing in with the power of the Spirit and show them once again where rest is found. It's in you. So God, may we be people who rest. And not just rest for our own sake, but they would be people of rest that, that would characterize us as a people that when we go out into the world of chaos and turmoil, they would actually see a restful presence. So God, may we not only experience rest, but that rest would actually radiate to our neighbors and our coworkers. As we prayed earlier, that you would send us as your people to the people who will eventually call you Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And may what draws them be part of what we call our rest in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.